0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises payoff. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. And if I sound a little hoarse this week, well, I am. I'm getting over COVID like so many people out there. I'm better, though, and I'm glad to be here with you all, healthy again. So my cousin Drew is a songwriter. I remember this musical he wrote about his brother Joe, who died of cancer. I watched an early performance of the music, and there he sat at the piano accompanying the singers. Here's what it sounded like. All you gotta
1: do is take my hand and we can fly.
0: great composer. And he has drive. For more than a decade, he made his living in theater as an actor and a songwriter. And there was always a production company interested in his project. And there were so many part-time jobs that helped him pay the rent. But that's not what today's episode is about. You see, as Drew got closer to 30, his priorities started to change. He no longer wanted to make his living from the art that he loved so much. He wanted a different path. And so he learned to code. Today, Drew's an engineer at Spotify. It's a job he loves. He's gonna tell you the story about how he reinvented himself, and I'm gonna help him because let's face it, I was actually there for most of his journey. He'll explain how he evaluated coding boot camps, and he'll share what surprised him about the transition. And I hope you'll find something useful in this episode for your own journey. Here's Drew.
2: So, Ever since I was little, the I was obsessed with doing theater, being a performer. I put on little productions in my basement that I made my poor parents sit through on more than one occasion, and my poor siblings have to perform in on more than one occasion. And that was always the dream. That was always the goal. I moved out to New York. I was on your couch and I was like, I'm gonna do this theater thing. It's gonna be it's gonna be my dream and I'm gonna succeed at this thing that I love. And
0: Wait, I just want to stop you there because I remember that. You said like, yeah, I want to come to New York. Could I stay with you? And I was like, sure. I lived in a 500 square foot apartment and you did. You came and stayed for a good long time. I feel like in my memory, it's a month, but it looms
2: large. It was the whole summer. The whole summer I stayed on your couch.
0: Well, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's so cute. He thinks he's actually going to have a career in theater. That's so cute. I wonder when he's going to grow out of it. Um, And then you proved us wrong. So what happened next?
2: Right after uh, I moved to the city, I got very lucky. I ended up having an audition for this little reading of a show. And the person who was playing the lead in that show, actually, he either got sick or he left the production. So I filled in and immediately got that role um, and got to play that lead part, which was really cool. And then after that is when I actually started shifting careers, because I found out that I was more in love with the act of creating the stories rather than the act of performing the stories. So I became a songwriter and orchestrator, and it was just one of those weird things that the universe worked out for me. And that's what I did for the next almost seven or eight years, wrote a few shows and had a few on contract. And it was a wild journey that I did not expect when I was on your couch.
0: Well, I remember how uh, how awesome it was that suddenly you were writing music and you were conceiving of shows. And you were constantly talking to people who were in the business of producing these and You were constantly getting like right up to the starting line where one of these might take off. And there was this forward momentum and this sense during your 20s that this was going to become something significant. And at least I took significant to mean two things. One is your shows would be produced and that was going to be really cool. And two is you would make money off of this. Like being rich, that wasn't even on the table, but like enough money to pay your rent, maybe even think about up up-leveling your life so that you uh, didn't have to have roommates forever and ever. And all of that was always sort of just over the horizon, which I think is how it is a lot in theater. But But what was the actual reality of that lived experience in your 20s?
2: The hustle is extremely real. And I don't think it's just in theater. I think it's across most industries. The hustle is extremely real. I was under contract. I was working with a lot of Broadway names. I was very lucky in that sense. There are a lot of people who don't get to do that. But I also was working three part-time jobs and thinking about, well, what am I going to eat this week? How am I going to pay my bills this week? And it was this weird back and forth balancing act with my brain being like, well, I'm so close to getting what I want to get that's not a guarantee, while also still hustling and struggling and, and I guess some people would say paying your dues, but trying to get to that next step personally in my real life with what I was going through.
0: Drew had great moments working on cool projects and frustrated moments that left him feeling demoralized. And along the way, he kept asking me, his older cousin, well, what do I do about certain milestones? Like, what if I want to buy a house someday? Around then, bit by bit, he stopped being able to see a path forward in theater, not in the way that he had dreamed, at least.
2: Well, so a couple things changed. First, at one point in time, I, the contracts that I were under had expired, and we had decided to not move forward, the production company and myself. And so what I had ended up doing is I kind of retreated just into my part-time work. And luckily, I had wonderful employers at the time who really took care of me and gave me opportunities in coding because they were trying to broaden their own marketing scope. And I, they asked me if I was interested, and I started looking into it. And I, the more and more I looked into it, the more and more I was starting to see how much I enjoyed working on this new thing that I had never seen before, both from just uh, practical day-to-day work, but more importantly, from a creative aspect of solving a problem and making user stories. And I distinctly remember there was one incident where I was starting to look at what life was like as a theater professional on the back end or the admin side, and what my life could look like going one route, or if I were to take these new skills that this job had offered me, and start to apply it to what a job on that route would be. And I started to really question what I wanted in life. Like There was a shift in the questions of like, what makes me happy? Um, Art makes me happy, music makes me happy, but those are things I can still have and also hopefully one day have a house, hopefully one day retire, hopefully one day have a family. But both of these paths will not necessarily provide that. And that's where I started asking those questions of where I needed to go for what desires I needed in my life.
0: Well, so around that time, you began looking into coding school. And now in retrospect, that makes all the sense in the world. But at the time, that seemed like a, like a funny departure from the things that I associated you with. So where did you even get the idea that maybe it would be a good idea to learn some engineering skills?
2: So it honestly started at the job that I had worked between when I was actually songwriting and when I went to the coding camp. Um, the, my employer at the time, like I said she was looking to broaden the marketing department and needed someone to start doing some coding for that and asked if I had any interest. And I was like, you know what, I'm always up for a challenge. Let me let me take a look at this. So I started playing with basic HTML and CSS. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And then as I got more and more into it, I started to get more and more jazzed by what I was doing because it was something brand new. And thinking back to my childhood, like I always loved science. I always loved math. I loved those things. And it was playing with a part of my brain that I hadn't played with in a long time. And so I started finding myself not doing work on the side, but doing things that I liked on the side, because then I was like going online, like, what is JavaScript? How does that work? How does Facebook work? How do I make a thread? Like, what is this? How do I do that?
0: And and could you figure all of that out basically for free online by just poking about? like one good Google search away.
2: Absolutely. You could find all of this information online free. And I think a lot of people do these days. There are so many people who are self-taught when it comes to coding and it's incredible. But as time went on, I realized that my skills were limited in the sense that I didn't know the industry and I didn't know people in the industry. I really didn't have a network of coding friends. I had a network of beautiful singing friends, but not coding friends. So I knew that I needed to take the initiative to somehow ingrain myself into that community. And when I started looking at boot camps, what I realized is not only were you going to be ingrained in your own little mini community within the boot camp, but you were going to start to get those networking connections and get your foot in the door essentially to go forward into the other other track, I guess is what you could call it, that I was starting to consider.
0: So you looked over boot camps. I remember talking about that with you, and you chose uh, one called Flatiron, which is now owned by WeWork. What made you choose Flatiron?
2: I think what made me choose Flatiron is, on from a practical standpoint, their job placement rate is super high because they have a career services department that helps connect you with different employers, helps get your foot in the door with various interviews, employers, jobs, but. I think what also made me choose Flatiron is when I was talking to the people on the phone, because I'm a little bit crazy and I have to do all the research in the world before I can accept something. I'm not not very good at jumping into the deep end all the time. The conversations they were having with me were very much that they understand that it's a community of individuals taking a step in the direction they want to go, and they're here to support that. And for me, that meant the world to me because I felt like I was a 30-year-old at this point going into a field with a bunch of 22-year-olds about to like basically not be able to do anything, be the old man in the room. And here I am hearing about these people who are younger, older, from different backgrounds, all just trying to take a chance on what could be a potential new future for them. And that just felt like the right fit for me.
0: Did you feel old or young at 30?
2: I felt both, to be honest. I love my 30s now, but at the time when I hit 30, I'm like, wow, I have not achieved so many things that I thought I would achieve by 30. (laughs) But also, I still feel like I had time. I still had time to do things, but there was more pressure under that time.
0: There's an important piece to remember about Drew's coding journey. It wasn't free. That can be a real gatekeeper for a lot of people looking to make changes. So here's how Drew handled coming up with the $15,000.
2: I had a decent amount of savings, but I also was prepared to take out a loan for that because I knew that what I was doing was worth it was worth the risk, essentially. And additionally, one of the things that I've always loved about Flatiron is they have it set up that you can do deferred payments to them and like work it out with them. You don't just pay a lump sum of fifteen thousand; it can be over the course of time. And so that also helped make my decision. But yeah, for me, it was a student loan and some credit card.
0: Were you also able to work part-time during the time that you did it? Or did you have to leave work and also figure out how to cover your living expenses while you did it?
2: The employer that gave me the opportunity to learn the skills while on the job was extremely gracious and was able to keep me on part-time. So what I would do is I would work through the week, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, 9 to 6-ish. Then I would go home, get on my work laptop, answer any emails, get anything done for them part-time. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I would do my homework for the next week for the boot camp.
0: You were busy.
2: I was busy. I didn't see anyone. I didn't see a single soul.
0: (laughs) Well, how long was the boot camp?
2: Uh, The boot camp was 15 weeks.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Drew talks about the transition from boot camp to the tech world.
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And we're back. So after his time at Flatiron, Drew was ready to enter this whole new work era. And that hustle he needed for theater, he needed it for the tech sector, too.
2: It's funny. It's like going back to theater when you first came to New York. You go back into the hustle. You go back into the, I need to network. I need to meet people. I need to get my name out there. I need to have these interviews and these face-to-faces. And additionally to that, you also needed to continue to learn to grow. One of the things that I feel like Flatiron is a champion at teaching is they teach you wonderful technical skills, but the key is they teach you how to learn and how to find the answers to what you're seeking on your own so that you can be self-sufficient in that skill. And so it really becomes that game of you constantly trying to find answers to questions and grow. And luckily, they do partner their graduates with career coaches to help them through that transition. But that's kind of what it became. I went back into that hustle just with a different energy, a different rejuvenation of it, if you will.
0: I remember also a point at which you realized that... um... Regardless of whether you thought you would like coding, you thought it was a good opportunity. But there was a point at which you realized that actually, coding called on the same source of creativity as writing music, and they were similarly satisfying to you. Am I am I explaining that right?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think I think there's a misconception with software engineering and coding because yes, it is. A, there's a it's science. It's science and math, but especially as a front-end engineer, and I would say it probably applies to back-end too, I just don't work in the back-end as often. There's a lot of creativity going into it, not just from the point of view of how do we make this run the fastest or how do we solve the problem we're trying to achieve, but it's also how are we giving these users the best experience possible? How are we creating user stories that make our product Something that people want to use, and what is funny to me is that's basically the same as how I think about writing a piece of theater or um, a musical. Is it's just like, well, what story am I trying to tell? How do I impact the world with the art that I'm trying to create? And I feel like it's a similar creative strand that you use when you are software engineering. And I don't think a lot of people put those two together necessarily.
0: Yeah. So you came out of Flatiron and you moved into your first job where. Really, your hope was basically just to continue to learn, right?
2: I was very fortunate. I ended up getting a front-end engineer job with Forbes.
0: Okay, dumb question here. Front-end engineer, back-end engineer, what are we talking about? What's the hierarchy? What do our listeners who've never done this want to be?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So back-end engineers, they primarily deal with a lot of our data They deal with a lot of how we format things on the back end, save things. They do some data manipulation for the front end. And then front end receives all of that data and is essentially the CI or the user experience. So whatever you see on the web, that is what front end is doing. Um, And so that's kind of the two spectrums that you see the most, the front end and the back end.
0: And how did you decide that you wanted to be a front end engineer?
2: Well, I decided on front end mostly because I love the user story aspect of it. I love having those conversations with product and with design and talking about, well, what can we do to make this the best experience for the user? How, What kind of users are there? How many users will want this versus that? And the front end gets to do a lot of those pieces, which I really, really enjoy.
0: So coming back to our story, so you arrive at your first job and you you work at it. So what do you get out of the first job that you appreciate and why Why does it feel like the first job rather than the forever job?
2: What I get out of the first job that I appreciate is that that employer really gave the opportunities to their engineers. It was very much a situation where if you wanted to take a lead role on a project or you wanted to take a lead role on a feature you could use your voice and you would be heard and you would be able to essentially attach yourself and lead that project going forward. It was very much a situation where you kind of steered your own ship within the boundaries of what they needed us to achieve. And I was super appreciative of that because for me, I was trying to learn, I was trying to grow, but I like to be able to like chase things that I'm really passionate about. And I got to do that there. But I also think that as with most things, the more and more you grow within a company, you either get to a point where you've grown as far as you can, or you get to a point where you need to mix it up. You need to change up what you're working on. And after working within that code base for three years, it was time to mix it up. I was ready to to take on a new challenge. I felt that I had gone as far as I could within that ecosystem.
0: So within the last year you moved jobs and now you're you're at Spotify. And it's it sounds like it's kind of a dream gig, right?
2: Absolutely. The product is something I believe so fully in. We actually work on podcasts, funny enough. Um, here we are making one. Uh-huh. But
0: You work on the, the Anchor acquisition, which is like podcast for the people, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. The way that you can make podcasts and then distribute them and put them onto Spotify and other distribution platforms. But I think what really drew me to the job is all of a sudden I found myself being essentially, the person on the back end helping other people tell their stories, helping other people create stories for people to listen to and learn from and grow from. And I was like, well, now I'm just doing what I wanted to come out to New York to do, which was to tell stories. And now I get to do it all over again, but from a totally different capacity, a totally different way of looking at it. And I absolutely adore that I get to do that every single day.
0: Right. And this new career path that you have found yourself on, It sounds like you find the work itself very satisfying. What has it opened up for you beyond that in terms of the life choices that you can make?
2: I mean, it's given me security. I think this job, and I feel like this path that I've chosen in general, has given me the security to go back to the original question when I started to ask myself, what are the things I want in life? And if I had gone down the other path, maybe I would be able to have those things, but I know that this path allows me the ability to plan for what my future will be, allows me the ability to think about, well, what would owning a home look like and not be just a dream scenario, but actually a scenario where it is possible? What would be having a family be like? There are so many opportunities here because this career that I've chosen now is actually allowing me to have those things and have those options as actual tangible things that I could achieve one day. Drew has some
0: advice for emerging theater artists or anyone who's struggling to balance their survival job and their art.
2: When theater artists, specifically college theater artists, have talked to me in the past and they asked me for advice, I'm always like, well, listen, there's two things you need to know. One, the minute you focus solely on your survival job is the minute that you aren't able to do all the things you want to do in the theater and you need to ask yourself if you're okay with that or not. Or you need to figure out a way to be able to support yourself potentially with passive income so that you can still chase all of those theater opportunities. Because as time has gone on, I feel like there's less and less part-time work that will allow you to leave to go do theater and still come back, back and forth. It's hard to find those jobs. And so there's part of me that I would love to go back to myself and and tell myself, Drew, go code. Go do that and just write on the side. But there's also part of me that like I think it was important that I had to do the hustle for a while because it took doing the hustle and me being like, I am doing this thing. I am in it to win it. This is what my life will be. For me then to realize that the hustle was not what the future was for me as far as what I wanted in my heart. What I wanted in my heart was to be able to settle down one day, to be able to not have to ask the question of how am I going to pay my rent or how am I going to pay for food this week? What I wanted in my heart was to be able to actually feel comfort in the future that I was creating and that the art needed to be something that was for my heart in a different way.
0: So while we were recording this interview, my producer, Sarah, asked Drew if he wished he'd done anything differently or started earlier. And while they were talking, all I could think about was this amazing fundraiser for St. Jude's, the children's hospital where his brother was treated. That night was magic. Drew performed his work at the Signature Theater in New York, small and intimate, but dazzling in this special kind of way. And watching Drew play the piano, feeling the buzz in the audience, I'm so glad I got to experience that. I mean, it was really magic. And if he hadn't given himself the chance to live out his artistic dream, well, everyone in that theater would have been robbed of that moment. And in a way, now that Drew's able to make his living in another medium, He's freer. I mean, he's freer to create more artistic moments that move himself and others.
2: The pressure, that hustle, that thing that makes you feel like you have to do something is out now. And now it's more of a situation of the joy, the passion, the fulfillment that comes out of writing for yourself. And there's a world that like, maybe one day I'll put up a piece. Maybe one day I'll do a concert. Maybe one day I'll do a reading. And I do hope to contribute back to the theater community in the future. I truly do. But it also now gets to be something that I do for me and not for a contract and not for a producer, but at this moment, I get to find joy in because it's what I loved to do when I was five. It was what I loved to do when I was six, telling a story because it just brought me so much joy. And that is what I feel like I get to do now because I don't, I'm not thinking about all of the things that are the practical things you have to think about when you work in the industry. All I'm thinking about is making a story and finding joy in making that story.
0: I'm awestruck by the way that Drew sees his work and his artistic passions as parallel tracks now. He just seems happier. So I asked him to share some parting advice with our Hello Monday community, and I love what he had to say.
2: A friend of mine recently made a comment where she was saying, we sometimes get stuck on this idea that you can only be good at one thing. If you're good at science, you're good at science. If you're good at math, you're good at math. If you're good at art, you're good at art. And we need to start getting rid of that narrative because there's nothing that says that you can't love art and be good at art and love science and be good at science and maybe choose a career in science and still love art and maybe even do art on the side or do both as a career. There's nothing that says you can't do that. And I think the pandemic is starting to open that mindset back up. You look at all of these people who are currently leaving their jobs and asking the question, what do I want to do with my life? And I think that part of that question is leading people to look back at, but what are the things that I actually enjoy doing? What are the things that I could explore doing? life is an adventure. And if we get pigeon in the one thing that we think we're good at, sometimes that's not the path that we should be on when there's so many other paths that we could explore.
0: Drew, just listening to you is making me think that we're all these years later, 12 years later, about to flip our relationship. I've spent the last 12 years giving you life advice. You're going to spend the next 12 years giving me my life advice.
2: Oh, I don't know about that. You're going to always be, I'm going to be Camper Drew and you're going to be Counselor Jesse, no question there.
0: That is uh, a role that I have relished since uh, you were an 18-month-old, smiley-faced baby sitting in the swing in the backyard. That was Andrew Overcash, a.k.a. my little cousin Drew, and a front-end engineer at Spotify. Sometimes life hands us the unexpected, and it's on each of us to make a difference with it as best we can. And sometimes we pivot to face that unexpected thing, and we thrive. For Drew, it was trading and composing for coding. For our producer, Sarah Storm, who's an actor, it was stepping behind the mic and producing podcasts. What was your unexpected pivot? And how do you feel about it today? Join Sarah and me on Hello Monday office hours this week to talk about it. We'll go live from the LinkedIn news page Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And as always, if you like the show, please rate and review us. It helps us so much. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Michelle O'Brien and Taisha Henry. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Ariando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor always have a song in their hearts. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And you heard Nick Rouleau performing Drew's music. Stick around after the show for more. I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening.
1: And I look at your face, tears fill in your eyes No, you don't need to turn away I'm right here by your side I wish that I could ease your pain Make the fear go away But all I can do is say you can call on me i'll be there guaranteed you know i'm by your side all you gotta do is take my hand and we can fly across the sky and you run away all you gotta do is take a breath and look for